Oh, hello everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Bowtie and a Blondie podcast. Thanks for joining us again this week as we head into the Long Bank Holiday Weekend and VE Day, so hope you have fun celebrating those. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Katie Bax, this week, and we'll have all the usual science shenanigans, including our chosen scientific discoveries that have been revealed this week, lame science jokes... Uh, questions from our listeners and Katie's amazing fact of the week. We also have a little bit of a Star Wars discussion, and we're going to put onto our Instagram post at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned for all of that. So, hey, Katie. Hello. How are you this week? I'm alright, actually. Thanks. Yeah, not too bad. Been been okay. Yes. Uh, what have you been up to this week? Uh, not very much, actually. Practicing my flute a lot more. Because I've bought a few things that help me with it and doing some more interesting songs than just. I saw you were pestering Rachel, who was our guest a few weeks back, um, for flute lessons. Yes, and I will be a, a little bit more. Because uh, obviously we don't have any teachers around at the moment, so I can't find a flute teacher. So it's all self-taught. And I've got to a bit where I just like, I, I think I need a bit more instruction on this particular skill. <laughs> So I will be pestering her. Uh, yes, I, I, I wouldn't even dream of picking up any musical instrument. <laughs> have no, have, have no rhythm or, or tone at all. I'm just terrible. I'm just so, impressed that yeah, I can no, now I, sight read music. I'm slow at it, but still, I can read it. Good luck to you because I can never you. do it. Um, How about good. you? Um, right. So, uh, yeah, it's been okay. I mean, been very busy with work this week. Mm. Um, trying to balance teaching and sorting out the year eleven stuff and. Um, the grades and things and managing two children as well <laughs> it's proving i think i'm going grayer <laughs> it's a skill that in itself uh, that's why i'm shaving my head i think to hide hide the extra gray um <laughs> okay right so uh, as always uh, we're going to start with our scientific articles of the week that we've been uh, finding out some great discoveries so what have you got for us right so uh, bear with me because this one sounds like it could be a boring one because it's about paint and there's that saying about watching paint dry, but bear with me, okay? So uh, the researchers from Columbia and Howard Universities in the USA have teamed up with uh, Peking University in China, and they've developed a kind of coloured double-layered paint that reflects heat. So like I said, I know that sounds boring, but bear with, okay? So... uh, Well, it doesn't sound boring to me. Oh, that's all right (laughs) So uh, the new paint could assist future planners and architects and decorators because when it comes to buildings, they usually have the two choices, either white, which looks beautiful and reflects all of the light, light and the heat, creating a nice cooler internal temperature for everyone inside it, uh, or other colours any other color basically but the thing is those other colors absorb heat meaning that it's hotter inside so designers and planners tend to use the latter one any other color and especially as the white paint tends to create glare which could be dangerous for uh, people driving around etc anyone who's a driver knows that if you come across something that's very bright white with the sun blaring on it you have to squint against it. it can be very very dangerous Uh, So they're left with uh, the other colours, but it generates the higher internal temperature in the building, uh, which can be uncomfortable for the people. And it also creates a very large air conditioning bill, which isn't very good. But this new paint, it has two layers created uh, with, as far as I can understand, it's almost with uh, fats created inside it. 
and one layer reflects the infrared heat waves uh, that generate heat back out into the environment away from the building and it's about 500 micrometers thick which is about half a millimeter thick so really really thin and the second coat the one that will be visible to people walking past can be made into absolutely any other color so let's go back a little bit the way that we see colors is that uh, different wavelengths of light is reflected off of objects. Loads of people think that the colour is almost like uh, radiating off of objects, but it is not. The light comes down from the light source, be it the sun, be it a light bulb, with all of the colours of the spectrum in it. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet. And it hits the object. And some of those wavelengths are reflected off they then hit our eye and we can see that color the rest of them are absorbed so if the object is red for instance the red wavelengths are reflected off of the object and all the other colors the orange the yellow the green the blue the indigo and violet are all absorbed into the subject into the object sorry what am i talking about uh, so that's how we see different colors and that's one of the reasons why this particular paint could actually be really good because it can absorb lots of different light and lots of the energy and it will reflect it back away from the building causing a nicer cooler temperature inside uh yeah incredible i see it's 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 structured the, the bottom layer the one that touches the surface of the building is, is similar to teflon which is what they have on uh like non-stick frying pans exactly like so that. it'll just uh reflect away all of the heat and everything but it will not create the glare which is the dangerous part uh, so they tested yeah, this yeah. by testing by painting two different objects black, one with this new paint and one with an old style paint. And they found that the internal temperature had a difference of 16 degrees, which is absolutely huge, really, in terms of temperature. And it was durable enough yeah. to show similar results, even when the object was placed in a 60 degree oven over 30 days. Crikey. But you know me, I don't only look at what, the initial story is I also look at the other ways of which they're going to advance it in the future because science never stops as you know we're always looking to advance on things Absolutely. and this particular paint um, is they're looking at uh, adapting it slightly so that the reflected heat from the paints can also be harvested as a potential electricity generating source so the whole painted front of a house for mm -hmm. instance will act as sort of like a solar panel wow that really would be Isn't good it? I'll be interested, interested to see what the efficiency rating because solar panels are great, but they're really in, they're not that efficient. Yeah, they, I think 20-25 percent efficient. So if they could get the efficiency of this higher than that, then that'd be fantastic. Especially as you could cover the whole exactly. house. Exactly. You know, solar panels. Are, and also yeah. with solar panels, obviously they're quite heavy, so not all houses are yeah. suitable for it. And if you if you live in a flat, for instance, obviously you can't have a solar panel. But if this particular paint can generate a little bit of electricity, that'd be amazing. The only downside, mm. if you like, with this paint is that they're not really looking to use it uh, in the northern hemisphere where we live because we actually use quite a lot of the sun's heat to heat our homes in the first place. It's yeah, much yeah. more for desert mm. and tropical locations, but still a very interesting yeah. development. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to find it in being cute. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> so, what article have you got? Okay, we are. That's, that's uh, okay, yeah, that was really interesting. So, uh, I'm steering away from paleontology this You're week not. and heading into my other area of interest. <laughs> Indeed, uh, I'm going to steer into my other area of interest, which is astronomy. Uh, and um, there's a story published this week, in fact, on May the 6th, 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my cat. And um, yeah, so a pu- story published this week, um, and uh, they found a black hole. So uh, I'll talk about what black holes in a minute. So they found a black hole just 1,000 light years away from Earth. Mm-hmm. And that is the closest uh, black hole that has been discovered to date. And, and, so, and that's, from an astronomical point of view, that is ridiculously mm-hmm. close. Um, so basically, a team of astronomers at the European Summer Observatory, which is ESO, often referred to just as the ESO, uh, found this black hole 100,000 light years from Earth. Um, it's the closest found to our solar system to date and forms part of a triple system. So a triple system of stars, one of which has gone supernova and collapsed into a black hole. Um, and they found it using the uh, massive uh, telescope in uh, Chile, which is part of the ESO's uh, operating telescopes, radio telescopes. And they reckon that this is just the tip of the iceberg because they re- there could be because the way they the way this black hole is and the way it appears, it's actually there could be thousands of them in our galaxy. Now, you know, up until fifty odd years ago, you know, black holes were pretty much just theoretical. No one ever dream, dreamed of being able to find one, let alone thousands in, in our own galaxy. So, uh, yeah, a really, really exciting discovery. So, uh, this system where the uh, black hole was found is called HR6819. Uh, and it was found as part of a study of double star systems. However, when they were looking at this double star system, they noticed that there was something there that they hadn't seen before. And it's uh, uh, it was a black hole. And actually this black hole, if, if you know where to look, is actually visible to the naked eye. You can actually see the area with your, in between these two stars wow. with, with the naked eye. Which is amazing. Uh, so yeah, um, so up until this point, they've only astronomers only spotted a couple of dozen black holes in our galaxy, all all of which strongly interact with their environment, so making them really obvious. You know, you can see the way light bends around them, or how they interact with stars that are close to them, or release powerful X rays uh, during that interaction when they interact with other stars and things. So they're quite easy to spot. But these other this this type of black hole doesn't really uh, give off to uh, give off anything, that, so it makes it much more sort of more, they call it a more silent, invisible black hole. In the Sounds article. so scary that way. But now we know, yeah. And now and now we know that, that what what we're looking for. They think that you know very soon we're going to start picking lots and lots and lots of these. So it's really really exciting. Now for those who aren't strictly, I think we mentioned it before in an earlier podcast, but I thought I'd cover it. So I thought. Black holes are um, uh, basically massive warps in the fabric of space-time. So the best way to think about it is like a trampoline. If you imagine you put a, a tennis ball on a trampoline, it would dip the fabric of the trampoline just slightly, but it would still make a dip. If you put a bowling ball on that on that trampoline, it would dip the fabric of the trampoline a lot because the, the bowling ball has more mass. Now, when a, a very big star uh, explodes in a supernova, it leaves behind uh, a very, very dense, very, very dense object. And that object is so dense and so heavy that it warps the fabric of space-time incredibly far. So you end up with a very, very big gravity well very big gravity well and that pulls in everything it's the 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 strength of gravity in that gravity well is so strong that it begins to pull in 
even light, not even light, which is the fastest thing in the universe can escape. So to have these all around in our solar system, our solar system in our galaxy, is is incredible because you know these happen from quite rare events, which where, where huge massive stars have collapsed in on themselves. Now, some some people might think, well, okay, a hundred thousand light years, how far away is that? Now, from a human perspective, that's it, it, it's ridiculously far away, ridiculously far away. Uh, a light year is basically how far light travels in a year. Now, light travels at three hundred million meters per second. You want to just wrap your head around that. 300 million meters every single second. Now, so if it's traveling at that speed for a whole year, that basically means it covers 9.4 trillion kilometers in, in a year. And this is a, yeah, this is a really long way. So when you're, when you're saying it's a thousand light years away, from a human perspective, that's still a very, very long way away. Space is enormous. Um, but in terms of astronomically, uh, how big is that? Well, that's that's actually really, really close astronomically because the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years across. So, you know, it, it shows you when you're saying it's only 1,000 light years away, it shows you just how, how close that is astronomically. But from a human perspective, it's obviously still very, very far away. I don't think we've got any threat of being sucked into any of these black holes. Um, but... Still, it's still. I found it incredibly exciting and fascinating that that there could be so many of these black holes yeah, out there. Yeah, very interesting. A little bit scary. It's it's a bit of everything, really. It's all you want from science. Yeah, I always like that as well. Uh, when I'm teaching like light years and things to the students, loads of them think that a light year is a measure of time, but it is not. A light year is a measure of distance. Yeah. It's always a good pub quiz question that yeah, as well, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think yeah. It's, it's got year year in the, in the in the heading so it kind of makes people think it's it's time but no it's, it's yeah it's actually a measure of distance so yeah 9.4 trillion kilometers or or if you want to if you want to put that another way if, if you work in in miles that's six million million miles in a year six that's million so million miles <laughs> wow yeah. the, the, near, the nearest star to us is four light years away four light years so if you were to travel at the speed of light, that speed, 300 million meters per second for four years, you would reach the nearest star to us, which is Alpha Centauri. So you mean outside of our um, solar system? So it kind of gives outside of our solar system, yeah, the, ne the next star to us, the next sun to us is Alpha Centauri, and, that, and that's four light years, about 4.2 light years away. So it would take you four, if you had an ability to travel at the speed of light at, at 300 million meters per second, which we absolutely don't, but if you did have something that could travel that fast, it would take you four years, 4.2 years to reach Alpha Century. Um, so it kind of gives you some idea of Space scale is there. so fascinating, isn't it? It's incredible. When I teach it uh, to students and stuff, uh, it's the scale of it and the size of it. It makes you so feel hard so insignificant, across. And I was kind of, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I always kind of go in with the heart, kind of, it, make, it makes you feel really insignificant. I was showing videos of, like, scale, scaling back yeah. out from Earth and heading out into see the universe and stuff with this computer-generated stuff. Uh, and But I also say that, yes, it does make you feel very insignificantly tiny, but also it makes you feel incredibly empowered and, and, and special because, as far as we're aware, we're the only organism within that universe that has the ability to understand that we are in that universe and have developed that knowledge 
you know, we were only swinging in trees uh, uh, for four four million years ago, and and now we now we understand, you know, the Big Bang, and 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 that we, you know, that we understand that light travels at that speed. You know, the the wonders of humankind kind of counteract the insignificance of our size in in relative to the universe. So I always find that stuff quite quite awe-inspiring and, yeah. and a joy to teach, when I, Whenever I do space, I either lose loads of lessons to their questions or I'm just looking at loads of faces <laughs> with open mouths because they're just so fascinated by it all. It's, I love that subject. It's yeah. amazing. Well, yeah, the, always get out yeah. of the Hubble Deep Field. That's that's the one that really shocks them, the Hubble's Deep Field. Any, any listeners not, not looked up Hubble's Deep Field, get onto Google and... Uh, uh, I might put a thing on our Instagram page about it as well. Uh, look up Hubble Deep Field because it's incredible. Okay. Right. Good. So two really interesting articles this week. Uh, right. So uh, what we're going to do now is it's time for science jokes. Right. Okay. So uh, these are a little bit out there. I'm not I'm not sure whether, whether we'll get these or not. I know my listeners will get them. You've got to really know your science to, to get these. So here's the first one. Did you hear about the man who got called to absolute zero? He's okay oh. now. <laughs> See, yeah, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a niche question, uh, joke that one. Okay, right. So, and this one, this one's really niche. You really have to understand your your protein synthesis to get this go one. Over me, isn't it? Uh, I wish I was a. <laughs> I wish I was a Denny, then I could get paired with you. You get these are getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running out. I'm running out of jokes. I think with this this little segment in our show may may have to come to an end at the end of this series. I think there aren't that many uh, science jokes out there left that we can use. But yeah, I really like that one. I wish I was a Denny, then I could get paired with you. I really like that. And if 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 you if you get that joke, then comment on the Instagram page about that joke because it's, it's 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 definitely a niche one. GCSEers may well get that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, triple science one, definitely shit. My year pension, I've just taught it to them through, through online learning last week. Uh, okay, right. So I believe we have uh, another week where we have questions from our audience. So um, do you want to, you've got one and I've got one. Absolutely. So do you want to take so it away? Our Casey? first question comes from one of my year eights, uh, Ella Priest, a wonderfully keen student. And her question this week. Uh, it's sort of two or three questions, really, that I've combined into one. What chemicals are in hair dye and how does it work? Now, I bet a lot of teenagers in this time of school have decided, you know what, I'm going to use this time to colour my hair, all random, wonderful colours, because you're not allowed to do it at school. And there is a reason for that, OK, <laughs> which I'm going to go into a little bit detail here. So uh, first of all, what chemicals are in hair dye? Well, hair dye actually contains loads of horrible chemicals and to be honest the cheaper the dye the worse the chemicals so don't skimp on it guys uh, so there's it contains chemicals like ammonia and peroxide and diaminobenzene and goodness knows how many others let alone any others that I will try to pronounce that's about my extent and they are all there for various reasons uh, so, for example, the ammonia causes the hair shaft to swell and it allows the dye to penetrate deeper into the hair, which then causes a deeper, more permanent hair colour. So for those of you that don't know, hair is uh, sort of scaly, really. 
So because it is formed of scales, they are able to swell and open up, allowing the dye to get deeper into the hair. Uh, the peroxide is there to remove the existing pigment, the uh, melanin in the hair. And it does this with uh, by breaking chemical bonds in your hair and it releases that weird, horrible, sulfury smell that's the characteristic smell that uh, of when you dye your hair. The use of the peroxide on the hair is irreversible reaction. You cannot change it back. Okay. So uh, temporary dyes, they don't use the ammonia, so it doesn't open up the hair. And the dye deposits uh, basically tiny little molecules of the dye on the outside of the hair shaft or at best just inside the hair shaft. So because it's only sitting on the top or just inside, effectively just shampooing your hair will dislodge and knock off all of the particles. So, yeah, that's pretty much what chemicals are in your hair and how it works. A little bit more, going a bit deeper. According to the manufacturers, guys, hair dye should not be used on anyone under the age of 16. A fact that I know lots of students avoid. <laughs> uh, but it really, really should be adhered to, <laughs> particularly uh, because of uh, possible allergic reactions and things to all of the chemicals that are in there. Mm. And the allergic reactions are avoided in part with a patch test. But again, I know a lot of people ignore that advice. Uh, but it also is, is not advised for anyone under 16 because it results in a buildup of chemicals in your body and in your hair and it damages your hair. I know people in their 30s that have been dyeing their hair every couple of weeks since they were 14 and their hair is so brittle now. They can barely brush it without it falling out. So if for any reason, sorry, hair is really sensitive, hair's really sensitive to um, like you know, what you eat, what, whether you smoke, it absorbs huge amounts of you know, forensically hair can tell you a huge amount. If you of, of like what if you smoked any drugs like a month ago, what you ate yeah. three weeks ago. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So when you start putting loads of chemicals on it, they do. They build up inside um, the hair. And the longer your hair, obviously, the more stuff that is going to build up inside it so if for some reason you do decide to color your hair first of all please don't do it if you're under 16 uh, but do not skimp on the cost buy a higher quality dye so that there's less of the horrible chemicals in it but also let a hairdresser do it <laughs> the hairdressers know their stuff they know what chemicals are in it and they could do a much much better job with less not no but less damage to the hair so, yeah, hopefully that answers your question, Ella. Yeah. And yeah. you've got Excellent. another one from okay. my year eights, and don't another you? Question. Yeah, your eights are super keen oh, with these are. questions. I think the ones yes. from last week came. Yeah, they're really So good. there's a bit of a story behind this one as well. Yeah, so so uh, uh, in our online lesson today, uh, we were talking about microscopy and there was a picture of a scanning electron microscope image of a virus, which prompted Ben to ask the following question. So Ben Thickbroom has asked, how do viruses move? It's a really intriguing question, actually, because they don't actually move. But that the big question is, how do they get around? How do they go? Because they've seemed to, you know, if you look at the coronavirus, it seems to have travelled away from China all the way across to the US. So how does it get about? Well, it actually relies on other organisms to get around. Now, viruses themselves aren't actually alive. Now, they're not actually dead either. They're kind of, kind of difficult to classify viruses. They're somewhere in between. They, they carry out 
the processes of life when they're inside a host, but uh, outside of a host, they don't carry out on a process, the process of life, which one of those is, is movement. Um, so viruses are really, really simple. They're basically a, uh, a piece of DNA or RNA in, enclosed in a protein uh, pocket um, called a capsid. And some of them have a soft lipid wrapping, like a fat wrapping around them. And that's why soap is so effective against the coronavirus, because it has that soft lipid wrapping. And that's what soap, when you wash your hand, damages and, and kills the virus. Um, and they're tiny, like literally tiny, um, uh, you know, a few hundreds of a nanometer across some of them. Uh, that makes them much smaller than bacteria. Um, and in fact, some viruses actually infect bacteria. They, they, take, they don't infect people, they infect bacteria. So because they're, they're, they're so small, they're very easily transmitted around by other other organisms and also through the air. So, um, you know, if uh, when a person has uh, uh, an illness caused by a virus, it usually causes symptoms in that person, like sneezing and coughing. And when you sneeze or cough, you expel viruses at quite a high velocity, actually, which is why the whole we have the whole two meter distancing in place at the moment. Um, and why we think that face masks are effective and stuff, because when you cough and sneeze, you expel the viruses into the air around you. Um, but if you cough onto your hand or you sneeze onto your hand and then you place your hand on a surface, someone else touches that surface and carries the virus somewhere else and touches another surface. So they don't move as in like they have legs or they sort of, or like a bacteria has a, a tail or flagellum, which it waggles to get around. Uh, and, um, yeah, basically, they, they just rely on other organisms as a transport mechanism. Um, so, yeah, they, they basically, they don't move. They rely on other people to move them. Awesome. Well, that's so your, despite that's the your fact answer, that though. they look like they have okay. legs, they don't actually move. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I saw the image you, you, you were on about, and that's a certain type of virus. Um, it kind of, that's what it uses to attach to the, the cell membrane when it gets inside a host. And it, you, that what, it, what that particular um, virus does is it, it attaches to the cell membrane and it drills a hole through the cell membrane and, and injects its RNA down inside the cell, which makes its way to the nucleus and then takes over the nucleus to make more virus. Um, the coronavirus doesn't look like the one that you showed. It looks more sort of circular. But that is a very scary looking virus. I'm saying it looks like a shit from a sci fi of a virus. Oh, yeah, I always show that to kids in my class, and it yeah. does look very, it looks like something from and the Matrix. Considering a sneeze is, what, 100 miles an hour and 27 feet, viruses can actually get pretty far, pretty fast yeah, using yeah. other people. Yeah, well. The measles virus can get about mm, two meters, wow. six feet, two meters. In the it's one of the most one of the most contagious viruses around because it can it can really travel quite far in the air. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, I'm not exactly sure about coronavirus. They're still trying to work out the exact distribution, but it's, yeah, it's definitely too new, isn't it? We don't like know flu. too much about it yet. Yeah. As far as measles, measles is uh, good at being an airborne virus. Okay, great. So, amazing science fact of the week. It's time for Katie's fact fact of the week. So, uh, my fact of the week is uh, that the inner part of a candle flame is 1,000 degrees centigrade. 1,000 degrees. The red and the orange part of a flame is about 800 degrees. 
and the pool of melted wax is 60 degrees. So never leave a candle unattended. So, so the, the, the blue, the yeah. inner part of the cone of the flame, the blue, almost it's not blue because it's, it's incomplete combustion, but the, the, the bit closest to the, the wick. 1,000 degrees. What, how much, what would you say? I never oh, thought that something like a candle that so many people oh, have got in their homes and just leave on the side 1000 degrees, which yeah. is another reason why yeah. you should never leave it just on the sides because so many decorative candles get uh, just burn on a shelf with nothing underneath it. They should always be put on some sort of heat protective yeah. plate because they burn so hot. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Did I know? I'm, I'm not going to put good, candles good on plan. my kids' birthday cakes. No, <laughs> scared me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks, that, Katie. Really, really fascinating. Right. So, um, apart from uh, playing the flute, uh, what have you been watching, uh, doing, reading, reading this week? I've continued reading the the five, the book on the uh, the Jack Ripper victims, which is so interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, and I've also finished a book called Grown Ups, which is by one of my favourite uh, girly authors. Uh, yeah, it was just a very much a this is what adult life is like <laughs> book. <laughs> How about you? Yeah. Oh, sounds good. Uh, uh, well, I finished Vikings. I'm really sad now because I've got to wait until like winter time for the last 10 episodes and then it ends after that. So that's really sad because I was really enjoying that. I find it insanely fascinating and entertaining. Uh, so that's all over and uh, continue to be a play Red Dead Redemption. Um, and uh, my, my son and I, we I purchased a Splatoon 2 for the Switch and um, I'm teaching him how to play it. He finds it hard because it yeah. requires two hands. He has limited use of his right arm. But um, he's getting there and he wants a chat headset now and he wants to do all the online games and stuff. He's getting old now. He's getting grown up and he wants to do all the Aww. big boy stuff. So, yeah, I'm trying to teach him to play that. It's quite good fun, actually. It's, I, I, it's, it's kids, but actually it's really addictive. Like, it's like who can paint them? It's an like online multiplayer and you have to, like, who paint... Who, you go in teams and you've got to try and cover the most of the arena in your colour paint sort as well like as splatting the other right? players at the same time sort of get them yeah, so it's like modern, yeah, modern warfare meets paintball in the sort of Nintendo family fun online multiplayer it's great for if like oh, young awesome. youngsters to get into online multiplayer stuff it's really good actually yeah it's really good fun Right, great. Well, okay, well, um, we'll find out on Sunday when we've got uh, more lockdown <laughs> so more entertainment's going to be required over the next few weeks I would imagine Right, so that that's almost our time up. I just want to say I've got thanks for everyone for putting your comments on the uh, Instagram post about Marvel. Uh, uh, in case you weren't aware, and I'm sure most of you were, because um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're you're a cool nerd, and cool nerds tend to know that this week was May the Fourth be with you, which is Star Wars Day, and um, Star Wars Day. Uh, is where lots of cool stuff come out. So there was new Clone Wars episodes, uh, which is the final Clone Wars episode, which was great. And Rise of Skywalker episode nine came out for on general release on Disney Plus and on uh, Sky and things. So I wanted to pose a question. I'm going to put it on Instagram, put a post on Instagram with a picture, and I would like people to go on there and comment. Um, it's the uh, Bowtie and the Blondie podcast, if you haven't joined yet. Um, and um, go on, and um, I want to know, which trilogy do you prefer? Which do you think is best? Do you think it's the original trilogy, the ones from the 70s and 80s? 
Do you think it's the prequel trilogy? So episodes one, two, and three. Uh, so uh, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Fringe of Sith. Or do you think it's the sequel trilogy? So um, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, uh, Rise of Skywalker. So I want to know. I want to know people's opinions about which trilogy is best. And uh, put and I will read out some comments. I think this is going to spark quite a bit of debate. This one. <laughs> I think so. I've got a feeling it's going to go along age lines. I think people who were children, yeah, people who were children in the late nineties and noughties, sort of in their sort of older, their sort of ten, eleven, twelve age, they might go for the prequel trilogy. Older people, perhaps in their forties and fifties, might go for the original trilogy, and young children around nowadays might prefer the sequel trilogy. Because I know that's Ethan's favorite. Uh, My son's favorite is the the sequel trilogy. He loves Kylo Ren and BB-8 and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Whereas, um, you know, I know that students I taught a few years ago they they totally love the prequel trilogy. But when I was sort of when the prequel trilogy came out, I was sort of nineteen twenty, and a lot of people hated the prequel trilogy. But I think as time goes by, you get that nostalgia from your generation Star Wars whatever Star Wars was around when you was a kid is the one that you yeah, favour like as you the grow original. older I think that was my favourite so, uh, not actually I will be honest I've not seen the uh, the sequel trilogy I apologise well there, there's a lockdown I, challenge I do need for to get you. some a uh, Disney Plus actually and then I will but uh, yeah again it's on my list of things to watch but yeah they're all, they're all on there now, but yeah. the original I, I think is my okay. is my one Cool. Okay, well, we can discuss it a bit more next week when we've got a few more other people's opinions on Instagram. See you okay, later. Thanks Stay very safe. much, Casey. I'll see you later. Bye. Okay, thank you for joining us again on the Bowtie and the Blondie podcasts. Please remember to go on to Instagram, follow us on the Blowtie and the Bondi Instagram page and put your comment on the Star Wars post. Let me know which of the three trilogies you prefer. Hope you enjoyed all the science facts and knowledge this week and lame science jokes. And if you did get them, don't forget to comment on the post on Instagram. Let us know. Until then, stay safe, stay indoors, take care.